Hello, and welcome to the Health in Europe podcast. I'm your host, Greg Bianchi. We've launched this podcast to bring you the latest on WHO's work in the European region. Our region is broad and diverse, from the mid-Atlantic and stretching as far as the Chinese border, we work with fascinating and driven individuals and groups. This podcast is about hearing their stories and how they might impact your day-to-day life. In the last episode of Health in Europe, we spoke with Dr Tracy Cooper of Public Health Wales about the work that's been undertaken on health equity and how the pandemic has shone a light on broader health inequities. WHO Europe has been working with authorities across the region on the issue of health equity. In this second and final episode, we'll explore the work being undertaken on health equity in Slovenia through their health equity status report and also hear from Nobody Left Outside, a group that represents marginalised communities on why tackling social inequities are so important. Slovenia has been working on its health equity status report to support policy action and commitment for health equity. I asked Dr. Valentina Provornik Rupel of the Slovenian Institute for Economic Research about why reducing health inequities is an important priority for the recovery from COVID 19. Well, I, I believe these questions, that this question could be quite prone to misinterpretation because it is difficult to think of health inequities in terms of uh, priority for recovery. Uh, as reducing health inequities has always been important, not just in the current current epidemics. Um, The current epidemics, as I see it, only emphasize the inequities in health as the vulnerability of the already socially deprived has only been elevated uh, in terms of access to healthcare as well as in terms of health status itself. Um, Reducing health inequities is a precondition of an inclusive, which is very much equal, um, in my opinion, to peaceful society. Uh, So health inequities are defined according to demographic, social and economic status. And all of these um, are at least to some degree defined when we are born and they determine our uh, opportunities and chances. And by identifying and reducing the inequities, we can actually enable people to to fulfill their roles in society actively and uh, hence contribute to, to its development. Dr. Moita Gabrielcic of the National Institute of Public Health also spoke of the need to prioritise health equity in the recovery, particularly among policymakers. Yeah, I think it's really an important uh, priority also for recovery. Of course, I agree with what um, Valentina has said, but we have uh, observed that those who have traditionally been in more inequitable positions, they have uh, they have uh, worse outcomes also in the present situation. But what we could observe is also that we are facing a number of new vulnerabilities because we are not speaking just about the epidemic, we are speaking about the syndemic conditions. And uh, those syndemic conditions are really strongly affecting the everyday life, the socioeconomic conditions, the cultural capital, the social capital, the economic capital of of people who have previously not uh, been facing such uh, threats as they they are faced to them now. So it's really um, broader, it's 
uh, more variable, and that's why the recovery uh, should, whatever we do for the recovery, we have to, to use also the health equity lens for any kind of uh, policy measure. So it's really important to take care because so what we are noticing in Slovenia is that the gap is widening and uh, widening specifically also due to the to, to COVID. And what we are observing, for instance, is that um, when we are asking people what is their financial situation in the past three months, uh, we see that people are facing worsening of the financial situation in approximately one-fifth of the population. But if you ask older than 65, then you see there are approximately 12% of those observing these um, less favorable developments. But when you ask those below 30 years of age, um, 33 or 34% of them are facing worsening of the financial situation. So it's it's really something what differs from previous um, previous situations. So we understand why health equity is so important, but what about collaboration between sectors beyond health? I asked Valentina and Moisa. Yeah, uh, so um, traditionally we kind of ascribed this uh, tackling health inequities to health sector, but um, I think to tackle all factors that actually impact health inequities, health sector is simply not enough. Um, so if um, if a problem such as health inequities is highlighted from various angles, let's say from educational angles, sports or housing, agriculture, air, air pollution or whatever, uh, this triggers um, awareness and response from more individuals because um, in our society, not everyone takes interest in the same area, namely healthcare, but each of us has a passion for at least one of these areas or those factors that contribute to health inequities. And I think that passion is what drives us and essentially leads to an effective public response. I do also agree that social determinants of health are out of health sector. And uh, if we just consider health promotion as the approach in public health, it's obvious that that majority of health is created out of health sectors in other sectors. So uh, whatever we do in health sector when we are uh, describing and following um, uh, monitoring health equity or health inequalities and gaps, uh, we mainly can deal with uh, mortality, morbidity, some lifestyle factors, but whatever comes more, um, we are just observing what other sectors are producing. So it's definitely much, much, much better to collaborate with other sectors. And what we found in Slovenia is um, that um, we had the opportunity already when we were preparing the backgrounds for, for government, for the aging strategy, longevity strategy for Slovenia, that more national institutions which are advising different sectors were uh, joining forces and um, the outcomes were much more fruitful. Multidisciplinary competence was built uh, more understanding was among us. And uh, also, um, when when the sectoral institutions were working together and, um, um, and defining uh, the situation and priorities and also possible solutions and um, gaining this mutual understanding among themselves, they were able to inform the sectors and the policy decision makers in their in their um, um, locus of competencies, I would say, 
then also the sectors were starting building their dialogues on the same ground. So that was maybe one of the biggest achievements which we noticed uh, in the previous years. And we used it now also in the preparation of the health equity status report for Slovenia in 2021. Um, and that's something from where we would like to start uh, building the platform uh, where the national sector institutions and also others relevant, it could be also academia, might join their forces while preparing the background document, the document uh, argumentation and then recommendations for specific policy areas and policy measures. That's something um, what we really uh, see as an added value of the process of uh, producing our health equity status report in Slovenia this year. We are thankful to WHO because we are among the testing countries uh, for the health history health equity status report. So we, we have been using extensively WHO knowledge, but also some, some learnings from JAHI project, which is joint action on health equity Europe, and also some of the experiences from EuroHealth, which is the Alliance on Health Promotion and Health Equity. So, from Slovenia, we understand the importance of health equity as well as the need to cooperate across sectors, but we also know that people living in difficult circumstances have been affected both before and during the pandemic. Nobody Left Outside is a collection of organisations representing marginalised groups in Europe. I asked Freak Spinnerwein, Director of European Federation of Organisations Working on Homelessness, and Kiernan Russell of ILGA Europe, why reducing health inequities is an important priority for the recovery from the pandemic. Well, uh, uh, it's for many reasons it's important, but let me mention uh, uh, two reasons, um, and that are uh, directly related to the pandemic that we're trying to uh, conquer uh, at the moment. We have heard many people, uh, also policymakers, saying that nobody is protected if not everybody uh, is protected, and that's of course very true uh, in times uh, of uh, of pandemic. Um, uh, the people we work with, uh, I work with, uh, I work on the issue of homelessness. It's true that. Um, uh, uh, homeless shelters, for instance, can be vectors of uh, infection, etc. So uh, I, I agree with the, the premise that nobody is protected if not everybody is protected. The problem is um, that uh, there is too limit, uh, limited attempts, too limited efforts, let's say, uh, of policymakers at local and national level to reach out um, to the most marginalized groups uh, uh, like people uh, living in shelters or living, uh, living on the street. So I hope that people understand that if you want to make this premise a reality, uh, they have to do a little bit more effort. And the second thing that we learned from the pandemic, I think, is that uh, social determinants of health uh, have to be better addressed. And we have to be a little bit more creative about how to address them and a bit more inclusive of what we consider social determinants uh, uh, of health. And that also became obvious during the, uh, during the pandemic. Look, for instance, at the link between the rate of infection and the quality of housing. We see a direct link between uh, infection rates and overcrowding infection rates and the quality uh, uh, of uh, housing. But of course, housing is a social determinant of health beyond the pandemic as well. It's not only related to infectious diseases. Uh, think of the, the link between overcrowded and uh, bad quality housing and mental health, uh, for instance, to give one other example. But in spite of that, you very 
uh, rarely see housing being considered or addressed as a direct social determinant of health. So I hope that the pandemic uh, will also uh, uh, help us uh, uh, to, to, to put up more in, uh, in, in, into the spotlight and to advance on, on, on this as well. These are the two things that I would uh, quickly want to, uh, want to raise in, on this question. Um, of course, I completely echo what Freak was saying. Uh, and I think I want to add one additional dimension here, which is to say that um, health, health equality depends on much more structural equality than just access to health services or uh, access to treatment prevention and care. Um, structural discrimination, marginalization, uh, violence, harassment, sti harassment, stigma, all of these things lead to lower socioeconomic outcomes, which lead to increased uh, exposure to infection with, with uh, COVID-19 or to other public health emergencies and often force people to make more risky decisions than they would like to make. Uh, when it comes to members of the LGBTI community, one of the things that we know is that uh, stay-at-home orders, especially for youth and those still living with their, with their biological families, have resulted in a really dramatic increase in domestic violence, uh, in expulsion from the home, uh, leading, as, as Freak just said, into, into homelessness or exposure to homelessness. Um, and that isn't because of a, of a health problem, that's because of a social problem. And so for us to think about equity in the context of health, we really have to think about the way that our society treats and values the people at the margins of it and how to ensure that they are able to access all of the necessities for life, housing, food, employment, uh, access to clean drinking water, um, and the ways that discrimination acts as a barrier, even when that barrier is not a directly health-related uh, or immediately clearly health-related barrier. Maybe next time we have a pandemic, um, uh, we can be a little bit more careful uh, about what we advise as uh, rules and guidelines um, uh, uh, for people to protect themselves against uh, against uh, against the virus. Like uh, uh, saying to people, you have to stay at home. If they don't have a home, it's really complicated. So uh, I hope that next time uh, we take a little bit better care of the people at the margins of society. But what considerations should be taken into account to ensure marginalised groups are included in the recovery from the pandemic? I think in general terms, what we have to emphasise time and time again is that it's not difficult um, uh, to reach out to marginalised communities. Uh, uh, the, it's not them that are difficult. It's the services that are difficult to reach. It's the mainstream health services that are difficult to reach uh, for them. So we have to work uh, on the on making the, the health services more uh, accessible. And uh, uh, to go a little bit more in detail, what I would say that we absolutely have to avoid is to create parallel systems of care uh, for people in um, uh, vulnerable, uh, marginalized uh, situations. Um, we in the homeless sector, we are confronted, for instance, with the um, uh, quick growth in some countries of street medicine. It's uh, uh, doctors and health professionals going out uh, into the street to reach out to um, uh, homeless people. And I'm not saying that that's not necessary, uh, but it's necessary because the mainstream health services are not accessible uh, uh, for these people. So I'm a little bit careful about that. So let's make let's work on making the mainstream health system uh, more accessible rather than create 
uh, parallel uh, uh, health uh, systems. And therefore, um, I think um, we also need to work um, uh, on, on, on creating better cooperation between the social care system and the health system. Um, uh, for the moment, these two systems like they work together in, in some way, but not sufficiently. Uh, uh, it's, it's two separate worlds. And uh, the target groups we work with are often uh, in direct contact with social care systems and not sufficiently with the health system, I think. So if we make these two systems work uh, better together, I think it will improve the uh, health outcomes for marginalized communities. Um, as Freak said, the it isn't especially difficult to get marginalized people's voices into conversations. Uh, but what we certainly saw in, in this crisis is that marginalized people were not at the table in the planning process. And as Freak said earlier, uh, there are many examples of ways in which the voices of marginalized people might have made it so that our emergency measures did not result in their further marginalization, but in fact made it so that they were able to abide by the emergency measures if they were able to be consulted and engaged in the process. So what that means is as we prepare for the next emergency, there must be representation of marginalized communities in the planning process at that table so that the measures that we develop to deal with future crises and emergencies take into account all of the potential shortcomings of the solutions that we come up with. Of course, solutions are going to be difficult for people, uh, but they do not need to result in highly exacerbated risk of, of, of death or of significantly negative health outcomes for certain groups living at the margins. The second main point that I would say is that as we think about recovery, it's vital that we link our process in recovery, not only to economics or not only to public health, but also to ensuring that we get back into a framework where human rights and the rule of law are respected uh, and serve as sort of the base of the way that we function. A lot of human rights were suspended uh, as part of dealing with the crisis. Uh, and we need to get back to a place where we're fulfilling those things. We need to ensure that all families are values, valued and legally protected in all interpersonal relationships uh, without discrimination, that everyone has easy access to a usable identity card that has their name and their face on it so that they can use it to go out into the public when there are, are uh our lockdowns or, or other uh, limitations in free movement in your city. Uh, we need to ensure that everyone is generally protected from violence and discrimination in a, in a larger way so that the world that we're creating as we come out of this crisis looks better than the one that we had before. We have an opportunity here to examine not only the things that we had to change, but everything. Uh, and think about what an equal and equitable society looks like for us. Uh, and that has to mean that marginalized voices are at the center of the conversation uh, and listened to in the decision-making going forward. Here's what else has been going on in the WHO European region. WHO Europe and EuroHealthNet recently signed a Memorandum of Understanding addressing health inequities and promoting sustainable development. You can find out more about this agreement and how it will shape cooperation in the coming years on the WHO Europe website. 
WHO Europe has launched the Summer Sense campaign, explaining how people can stay safe from COVID-19 over the warmer months. And finally, next week WHO Europe hosts a high-level event bringing together the Small Countries Initiative for the first time since the beginning of the COVID-19 pandemic. Find out more about the event on the WHO Europe website and our social media channels. That's all we have time for. This is the final episode in a two-part mini-series on health equity. Thanks to Valentina, Moitza, Freak and Keenan for taking part in the podcast. If you'd like to find out more about health equity and WHO's work in this area, you can visit the WHO Europe website. That's euro.who.int. This episode is presented by me, Greg Bianchi. Thanks for listening and until next time, stay safe and stay healthy.